Good morning, good afternoon, everybody. Thanks so much for joining this next episode of In Any of Time. We're so excited today to be able to do a deep dive on digital engineering. It's a pretty hot topic in the, in the Department of Defense. It's been uh, really a topic that many uh, talk about, but not many understand. So I think it's important to bring uh, an expert uh, with uh, decades of experience doing this in real life with very complex weapon systems and actual uh, DoD uh, mission systems, so you can understand really what are the key pieces of the puzzle to get this done. So uh, we're excited today to have uh, Pritesh Patel, the CEO of Ad Hoc Research, to join us. So before we get started, I wanted to remind everybody to subscribe to In the Nick of Time by going to inthenickoftime.tv. Uh, we send an email a week uh, for the next uh, episode, so you know uh, what's coming up. A lot of great guests coming. Uh, it's going to be a very interesting. Uh, month, both in uh, March and April. If you know someone that you think would be a good guest uh, for the show, uh, trying to get more people also on the .gov side outside of DoD uh, and uh, the IC. So if you if you know anyone that uh, would be interesting to join the show, please reach out to us so we can reach out to them to have them on the show. We're pretty much booked until um, beginning, of, beginning of June, but that's going to be uh, pretty... Uh, uh, tight anyway, so just uh, send us uh, whoever you think would be a good fit. I wanted to remind everybody, if you've not tried it yet, to go check out Assage.ai. It's uh, the GPT for government. We're bringing uh, different models, OpenAI and Kohi and Google soon to be able to uh, uh, add the CUI data on top of it and be able to tap into real-time API databases and such. So uh, check it out. Uh, it's a game changer for, for many teams. We have... Uh, uh, 1,200 government teams on Sage in six weeks, which is insane. Uh, pretty excited about this. So, you know, go check it out. Uh, you have a, you can open a, a free account on Sage.ai and give us your feedback. We have a Discord chat, uh, so go on Discord and uh, give us some feedback as well. That's always exciting to hear from you guys. So, uh, I think it's uh, pretty exciting. So, you wanna, you wanna play with this? So let us know what you think. Um, it, you can, uh, you know, have CUI on there and 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 all that good stuff. So, pretty exciting. Uh, with that, we're going to uh, bring our dear guests. Uh, before that, I'm going to give you a quick rundown of uh, uh, who he is. Uh, Pritesh uh, founded that ad hoc research in 2013, uh, supporting the Army Evaluation Center C4ISL Evaluation Directorate. He led the Modeling and Simulation Simulation Tool for Analysis, uh, fancy acronym MODESTA. Uh, it's a test framework for automating the Army uh, mission system testing on uh, a technical, uh, a synthetic uh, technical network uh, testbed, uh, which, you know, it will be interesting to understand what that means. I think a lot of people uh, struggle with all these fancy terms, but I think we're going to do a deep dive today to really kind of democratize all of this stuff. So uh, that's going to be interesting. Uh, also, um, the obviously has 15 plus years of deep knowledge and modeling and simulation, test evaluation, DevSecOps. And it, you, you're going to see that some of the stuff he brings is uh, kind of embedding all this uh, cool modeling and simulation stack into, into Kubernetes and how to, to do this and uh, how to embrace cloud native inside of this new construct, which, which is, you know, so, so interesting. Um, and of course, he has, a, he has a deep background on infrastructure automation. Uh, to be able to get where you want to be at the at the velocity and the 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 pace that you need to uh, to move at to compete, um, 
His, uh, his strategy led to the companies uh, to rank in the 120th, 28th uh, fastest growing business on uh, Inc. 5000 in 2020, which is pretty amazing for a government team, you know, pretty unheard of. Um, and, you know, with that, we're going to, you're going to, you can find him on LinkedIn. The link is right here. Um, always follow him, always a lot of great insight. And with that, we're going to bring him on. Welcome. Hey, Nick. Very good to see you. We're so excited mm -hmm. to have you. I think it's going to be a very interesting discussion today. There's a lot of, you know, a lot of great questions already from the public. A lot of people, you know, use terms that we don't always understand, you know, digital engineering, modeling and simulations, um, you know, SysML, um, obviously digital twin, now the, the fancy modern way, right? Um, mm -hmm. So it's going to be an interesting discussion. Before we get started, I think it's always uh, good for you to, um, you know, share a little bit about your journey, and then we'll be able to start a deep dive on digital engineering. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So my journey has been very interesting. Um, you know, I, I served in the army as a soldier, a counter soldier. Um, you know, and um, I first uh, started with the two biggest acquisition failure programs. Uh, that's became my textbooks case, like uh, FCS and deep, uh, deep water program. So when the large acquisition programs were forming, I I was uh, in, you know, put on a very interesting uh, projects to do a lot of risk reduction and uh, experimentation. So sort of I started my career with the acquisition of failures and how to use, but still learn a lot of how to use modeling simulation and experimentation to, to reduce risk on the large uh, programs. Uh, uh, unfortunately, um, you know, those programs did not survive, but deep water still went on on the Coast Guard side. Uh, but, um, you know, that's how I really started my career and then uh, uh, worked on um, uh, Army's uh, Winty uh, program record office uh, for five years. And then I, I took a chance and started my own business after that, um, you know, so that, that, that's really uh, my journey. And, um, uh, you know, I, I you know, definitely uh, have a really great team now to support and, you know, uh, you know, we're, we're doing some great things going forward here. So. Yeah, no, that's that's exciting yeah. to do a deep dive on this because you know, yeah. uh, you know mm -hmm. so many different companies doing different things. Mm -hmm. A lot of pretty legacy ways of thinking of this, right? A lot of tools yeah. that are you know twenty years old, right? Um, and so you know, bringing kind of the modern, you know, automation uh, model, the uh, DevSecOps mindset, all these kind of new ways of you know doing business, mm -hmm. and you know, moving at a pace of relevance is kind of the the disruption there and you know there's a lot of momentum uh when it comes to digital twin you know the air force uh started really pushing this with dr roper with the uh, you know uh the three pedals with DevSecOps, open open architecture and uh you know digital twin and that really kind of started to really you know show show the teams the value of, of automation and knowing knowing how a system is going to behave before bending metal that i think was a you know pretty game-changing piece but you know if you if you have to summarize you know what digital engineering is about and why you know people think this is important um how would you how would you describe it yeah so um our digital engineering is, is uh, you know from the traditional uh, uh, you know, methods of uh, on the acquisition program, but, you know, uh, leveraging modeling simulation and test and evaluation has always been the mandate, right? 
now with the new digital engineering mandates, uh, this is more formalizing and uh, you know some of the processes and and uh, you know uh, tools that you and consolidating in the cloud is is what what uh, uh, the efforts have been going on right now traditionally you know models actually uh, for for what you actually intend to build has been uh, more on the uh, sort of like building some kind of like models which is much more lengthy traditionally it took like six eight months to even build the first uh, models, uh, but how do we accelerate that process, right? Like, uh, how do we leverage actually existing data and actually use AIML tools to build model, uh, accurate representation of the new system or new things that you're trying to build um, is, is, is a really uh, the more path forward looking for these uh, DoD programs, right? Um, so times have changed, right? Like, um, you know, now you have uh, more cloud native uh, capability where where it can be much more agile and not be you know take a lengthy time to build models and still be in the uh, iterative uh, cycles of of uh, doing simulations and sort of deciding and uh, and you know uh, actually doing more stochastic models, but trying to add more realism is is, is definitely a game changer going forward. The most Im important uh, uh, point in, in, in digital engineering is digital threads, right? In military uh, weapon systems and, and uh, DOD systems, you know, you're just not trying to build a representation of one component. You actually want that to work with the, all of the other aspect of it. Like, so let's say you, you build, you want to add a new technology that is for the edge device or something doing that the soldiers carry with them. But how does it, how, what value it provides uh, to all the way up to the core level or any other commanders uh, or, or the decision-making process that has to be evaluated thoroughly. So the digital threat aspect of bringing up, creating a representation of complex system system uh, and the threads that goes with it is, is very, very important, right? So you not only heads on focus to, you know, building only one thing, uh, but also bring in the uh, entire aspect of it. So. Uh, that's one of the uh, good things in the recent mandates I've seen in our, our digital engineering to push that uh, that aspect of it too. So that's that's certainly a, 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 there's a lot of value of, of uh, for the DoD programs to to uh, practice, right? So yeah, no doubt. I, I think you know when you when you think of the complexity of some of these systems, right? Back to your point, having the ability to uh, really see how they. Uh, integrate with the rest of the ecosystem and also, you know, mm -hmm. uh, keeping track of what's going on uh, with uh, physical events, right? Whether it's weather related things, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, the, the situation that uh, the wolf fighters all, all set in, all these different, uh, you know, customizations uh, will give you a lot of insight when you're building a, a pretty complex system like this. And I guess it's kind of a maturity, you know, uh, thing where, you know, the more, the more, um, you're able to really mimic the real world and, and everything around you and how things connect. Mm -hmm. uh, the system of system thing becomes kind of this uh, almost virtual world, kind of a metaverse of, uh, of what's going on, right? And, and so that will give you a ton of insight, both in terms of, you know, how the, the metal is going to behave all the way to, you know, how it's going to be used and the kind of the conditions and what you need to pay attention to when it comes to designing the product. Uh, yes. You know, too many times we spend five years, right, trying to figure things out and then all to realize 
that is just a complete waste of taxpayer money because we built it in a vacuum. So that kind of digital engineering model mm -hmm. will effectively accelerate the rapid feedback, you know, with the wall fighter and, and be able to avoid wasting a bunch of money. But, but I guess it's, you know, it, it's, it's interesting, right? Because when you look at the, uh, the challenges, right. And that's kind of my next question, you know, mm -hmm. when you listen to the, the definition, it's like, okay, that, that seems to be a pretty high ball, right. To, to get mm -hmm. where you want to be and you don't get there overnight. And if we listen to the normal DOD way of doing business, that means, you know, people are going to spend five years to design a model all to end up, you know, building something five years too late. So how do you find the balance right between, um, you know, maturity in digital engineering, but yet, you know, DevSecOps and, and kind of deploying stuff in production and getting feedback and kind of balancing kind of the virtual world and the real tangible outcomes. Yeah. yeah. So, so some of the top challenges are digital engineering adaptation, I feel is are in the standardization aspect of it right um uh, it is you know it, us being we have been plugged into the Ar army modeling simulation community for quite many years and we still uh, see the you know the common framework of scenarios of issues the common framework of models um certain system are represented in three different uh, simulation environments uh, and not consolidating into one, and um, the uh, uh, and whenever you have uh, stochastic models, uh, it is uh, uh, there's always skepticism that uh, well the simulation produced that result, but I there were a lot of assumptions to it, into it. So uh, you know the chat the, with, with with digital engineering aspect is there's always sort of this. Uh, continuous skepticism in the mind that this at the end of the day you guys uh, you guys have just flipped the coins and and uh, how should I believe these results have to make my important program decisions that's always been a challenge right um, and again um, emphasizing on st like standardizing and bringing the community together is very important and all working on uh, uh, on a common framework of scenarios, common sets of data, uh, common uh, processes is, is actually very challenging, right? Um, the other aspect is also, um, you know, uh, finding the the uh, the data set, and and if you're trying to build a a model from actually existing uh, data, uh, that's you know, at this point it, in some of the areas, it's still challenging to bring that into a cloud. So other um, you know, community can utilize that data to build models. That's still, still not. We, we haven't seen that uh, uh, happening yet, right? So yeah, so um, you, you're still facing the same data issue, I guess, that you see right yeah. uh, across pretty much any <laughs> any use case, like bringing the data in, and, and and then of course, I guess you were talking about you know all these siloed modeling environments. I guess there is an, the point of of having maybe somewhat of a centralized mindset when it comes to designing things. So at least, or at least in terms of the, the design of the models and the, the format, so, so they can be reused across teams. And, and cause yeah, you know, you are as good as your representation of the other models you're gonna integrate into, right? And so you have this dependency across teams, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah and you know, we, we talk about um, always CI, CD, 
right? Like we talk about CICD and DevSecOps a lot, but on these programs where we don't talk about is like CVNV for system to system, right? And that's where digital engineering tools adds a lot of value to that as well, like practicing VNV and actually calibrating the models along the way is, is actually, uh, um, you know, yeah. yeah. So Michael had a couple of questions for you, and I think you know I'm gonna I'm gonna take them now because I you know they really go well with with the topic here. Mm -hmm. um, and so Michael was saying, you know, as you're explaining this uh, digital thread and models, can you give a couple of tangible examples of digital twin, you know, with a with a DoD uh, example? Yes, absolutely. So um, so think of like from. Um, uh, the mission systems that you have that soldiers use, like, uh, you know, for situational and C2 information, and then um, they, for fires mission, right? So there's complex thread that goes in uh, of, you know, taking the orders and there, there are so many buttons being pushed and so complex things that happen uh, behind the scene, right? Um, and many times uh, when, you, when you do these things in a lab, uh, you do it on a network, like, you know, all wired network, but um, the re realistic representation of network of the networks, because in, in, in DOD, we, in a tactical system, we use even hierarchical uh, or some, um, you know, heterogeneous networks. We forget about the representation of that, right? Now, to execute the thread, you, you thought you worked, it, it worked in the lab perfectly, but now, you were missing some pieces, right? Real life is not elaborate, yeah, no doubt. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's a great way. So, you know, some of the things we've done in the Army and CFISR, how do you virtualize the radios and put that into a container environment to bring that hyper-realistic networks too, right? Uh, that's that's a digital twin of that uh, right. network, network representation. And you want to bring that latency and, like, you know, stuff going down and... Right, so nothing is working perfect. Maybe you're swapping between, you know, uh, different kind of connectivity options. You know, so some people manage to get access to faster, uh, mm -hmm. you know, 5G, and then you go back to like, you know, legacy connectivity. So, so obviously having those abilities, right, gives you pretty good insight when it comes to handling errors and, and you know, network issues and stuff like that. Yes. So yeah. that's one of the core example of digital twinning and, and execution of threads on the, all of the digital twins that you created, right? So, yeah. And Michael had, had a follow up, you know, kind of for me as well. But, um, mm -hmm. you know, he was asking if uh, we were, you know, Ski Camp was, did a great job when I was in, in the department to, to build the uh, digital twin of an air gap network and F16 payload using, using AKS. And that's mm -hmm. been, uh, you know, pretty amazing to see what they've been able to do. You know, with a legacy uh, platform there, uh, and F16 has been kind of leading the way, honestly, when it comes to adopting all these modern uh, practices. And uh, he's asking if we've seen other, you know, digital twin growth in Platform One or Kesaran or AFRL and others. Uh, you know, for for me, I've seen quite a few big programs. You know, GBSD is probably the the biggest example of that with B21. Well, they they've done a very good job at uh, really modeling the system and it's it's pretty complex system particularly for gbsd and b21 ready where you have all these uh, different dependencies and you know the silos the missile you know the the payload all that stuff so it's pretty amazing to see what they were able to do uh, but it, it seems to be very much using legacy tech stacks and and kind of you know completely siloed 
compared to the DevSecOps side of the house. And it's often running on, you know, uh, Windows machines, you know, on the cloud or, or on-premise. And uh, it's, uh, it's kind of interesting how there's not a lot of companies, right, innovating in this, uh, you know, modeling world. Uh, so what have you seen so far when you come, you know, I, I, say, I think Dr. Roper just announced like two months ago that he's, uh, you know, building this new company to uh, to bring digital twins, you know, to the department at, at scale. What, what, what have you seen? Who is who is doing innovative stuff? Yeah, so um, we have seen um, we, we have seen quite a bit of trend, like I think everybody's most of the common things that I've seen in the industry is that everybody's realized that uh, when it comes to digital twin, um, you know, digital twin platform needs to be, it cannot be, it's not a turnkey solution. Um, I, I mean, everybody wants uh, models that is comp complex. So uh, the trend I've seen is that I've seen, I'm seeing multiple platforms that are, that are taking the low no code approaches to build models, right? So you, you don't have six, eight month cycles to build models, right? So um, how do you, like, for example, in some of the benchmarking we've done through low no code approaches, we build a SCADA ICS system uh, digital twin model in, in just two weeks and a single data scientist, scientist working on it, right? That was a benchmark. How, how quickly can we move, right? And, and that's also validated, right? Like it, it's not just we build a model and, and it's done. Uh, within that two weeks, we also went through a VNV effort as well, right? So um, I've seen trends of when it comes to digital twin, a low no-code platform, think of here as a SharePoint of business process applications that you can quickly de deploy. Digital tw twin platforms also need to look like that. Um, well, while some platforms and some capabilities that I I've seen out there, they like IoT devices and things like that, they build specific virtualization or behavior that is that does very specific things, but when it comes to military systems, uh, you know, is you know, it's changing all the time, right? So you 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 want to have a platform that is very very flexible, and that's a trend I'm seeing in the industry right now. And you know, I think there is a, a pretty significant you know vendor lock-in with many options, so people have to pay attention to that, right? Yes. And using using open formats and you know being able to reuse models, particularly when you have different teams, you know, buying different different tools. Um, yes. And if you can integrate those models between teams, obviously you lose the entire value of that uh, uh, digital thread, right? So yes. that is you know the foundation of the right decision. And and you know when I right before leaving, we were working with um, uh, the Air Force to create this. Uh, and I'm blanking on the name of what we called it, but uh, th there was this uh, new uh, modeling and simulation environment, you know, enterprise-wide on cloud one uh, that would be that would be bringing kind of all the uh, the key enablers, right, for digital teams, just like a plat platform one, but for for digital twin, um, to be able to to do that, so teams don't have to, you know, set up all the tools and you know, kind of accelerating their adoption and how to get started. Um, I think that was that was a pretty good idea, right? You, would you recommend maybe teams to to have an enterprise service for for all these tools, so so not every single team has to reinvent the wheel? Okay. Are are you referring to DAF DTO office? Or the... Yeah. Okay. Right. All That's right. it. Yeah. Yes, yes. There we go. That's the name. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and they've done a great they've done a great job. Right. Yeah. 
the digital transformation yeah. office by digital transformation digital. office yeah yes yes I, I seen that initiative very interesting and and uh uh you know uh, i think that's that's one of the great initiatives i see and the earlier pain point i talked about the standardization and common is is i think that such platform can can uh, enable that so which is which is great so and michael is always spot on here but uh, he's always spot on anyways but is you know is He's mentioning, I guess, that uh, you know they're setting up the stuff, but but first, you know, we're very we're not very good always, you know, at, you know, Hanscom mm -hmm. and others to to build enterprise services at the right cost, and and then you know uh, programs always say, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to do it myself. It's going to be cheaper, and then they realize, well, maybe it's not that easy and that cheap, you know, and then they they end up spending more taxpayer money. But there's also the issue of like organic, you know, resources and talent and uh, you know, centralizing, you know, one would argue centralizing the talent into one office would make sense to help bring an enterprise service, but it's not always easy to find the talent. And when there's no big push from the top, you know, after I left, I think kind of the momentum of like the centralization stuff died mm -hmm. away, then you have, a, you know, you have a tough time to find the talent. And, and then it's kind of a, you know, compounding uh, toxic effect, right, where you don't find the talent, you're too expensive. People don't mm -hmm. want to use the enterprise service. And so if they don't use the enterprise service, you don't have enough money to make it cheaper. <laughs> so it's kind of a vicious cycle. Um, yeah. yeah. So when we look at, you know, uh, the difference, I guess, with what people use now as a term, which is, you know, digital twin mm -hmm. and the traditional modeling and simulation universe has been going on for years. What would you say is really kind of the, uh, you know, the, the difference of the uh, the modern way? Is it just a cool name that just, you know, sounds better and, and you know, does the same thing? Or is it is there, like, would you say there is some um, requirements or outcomes that would be very, you know, very precise with a digital twin, just like, you know, DevOps and DevSecOps is not, it, it's, you know, it came from the same place, but these additional uh requirements to call yourself DevSecOps versus you know DevOps. So would you say there is a similar mindset when it comes to uh digital twin? Yeah so uh yeah the key difference yeah, uh, yeah. digital twin has does have that the same mindset like cloud native um you know Kubernetes deployment of uh or like you know some um, uh, orchestration and provisioning engine where you can deploy digital twins that's that's the that's a deployment and execution of simulations or or something that what you want to do with the digital twin. But the core difference between uh, digital twin and modeling simulation is is the real time uh, model updates and aspect of it. So um, imagine you have a a uh, some sensor or some system on the edge side where you push a new software update. And now all of a the sudden, there's a new behavior that is actually uh, introduced in that. Uh, in the traditional modeling simulation, you would have to go and code the new behavior along with the new system that you actually have built. And there's no real-time update to the model, right? So traditional model from my, so everybody has different opinions about digital twin versus modeling. So my opinion and just my two cents is that that there's a real-time model updates and real-time re representation is, is what really differs the, the, between the two, right? With the new um, uh, way of building models from uh, 
from data, that, which is which is a new methodology, right? Than the traditional models, right? Uh, and the the way we build models is also uh, more agile in digital twins. Uh, you know, it shouldn't take you to, to you know uh, you know six to eight months to build models, right? So that's that's a core difference that I see. Um, you know, the real time aspect of it. So if you have yeah, and so if you have like let's say a um, uh, you know uh, edge device kind of you want to do a core analysis right on the edge device where the digital twin is also co-located co and do your water drills right then and there on a centralized exercise you know there's a lot of value to that right so <clears throat> yeah so you bring it with you right so it's not just in the lab yes yes yeah <clears throat> so it's more than a fancy terms i guess right yes so that's good Yes, yes, it's not. <laughs> I think it would be interesting to to have a really a good understanding of kind of the yeah. um, the definition and the, the key, you know, what we did pretty well, you know, when I did the DevSecOps mm -hmm. reference design in DoD, we kind of really established what were the key mandated pieces to call yourself DevSecOps versus DevOps. I think it will be interesting mm -hmm. to have a similar exercise when it comes to digital twins so people can actually uh, really understand the definition of it right and yeah. the key aspect are they are they checking the box or not you know i think that that's interesting mm -hmm. um so you know obviously when you look at you know creating these models for complicated weapon systems you know that seems like for many teams you know impossible particularly when you start from scratch and mm -hmm. you shouldn't start from scratch right reinvent you know how the wind is going to behave and what whatever else right radiation mm -hmm. or whatnot i mean who care you know whatever the use case is uh mm -hmm. but but still it's, it's a pretty heavy lift what do you mm -hmm. see you know the, the the top you know the top three mistakes people make when they get started on the new uh dual twin engagement yeah so um yes yeah, so this is a great question right um when it whenever it comes to creating models like um you know in whenever you have to keep one thing in mind that the purpose of creating models is to answer questions or questions that decision maker seeks to make important funding decisions and program decisions or whether it's testing or anything like that. So uh, when you're designing uh, weapon system models or any other representation, time is of the essence. You don't, you know, can't get into the long cycle of model development to um, to uh, to make it so precise and, and kind of build the stochastic models and 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 uh, you know uh, hard like intense coding by reading from the specs like I've seen methodologies like that you know uh, people read the specs of the system and then start coding and, and some descriptive and simulation engines and things like that. Uh, we don't have time for that. Decision maker see, seeks an answer. You know, their answer. They they were seeking answers. They wanted answers. For, you know, yesterday. But um, so um, that's that's an important fact. And uh, so try to adapt. Uh, trying to adapt like low no code approaches to building models. There are three main categories of model development that I recommend is. Uh, uh, spec base, which is you know taking the state machine based model development right uh, quickly that you can build that uh, through through very easy. Like for example, let's just take a traffic light or elevator. There's a state machine for it, and you know adaptive local platform to build that model 
and, and quickly move, you know, and ins instead of doing a lot of intense coding. The second way of, uh, a way of doing, if the system exists, right, there's a prototype that exists of the system, then create an emulation-based model, you know, by virtualizing the key core components into containers and microservices and draw boundaries around and, and may bring in partial behaviors of, you know, again, through workflows or some kind of state-based machine behavior models into that emulation base, right? And the third methodology, if you have data, leverage AI ML tools and machine learning processes, MLOps processes to build representation of that component using machine learning um, models, right? So these are the three categories you can uh, build models. But models built out of real, uh, real world data is always very close to the realism. Uh, you know, models built out of emulation, virtualizations, all is also close to the realism. So that, the, you know, the results coming out of those emulations or simulation exercises are sort of like more realistic and people will believe it more. Um, you know, there's no uh, lot of coin flipping going on and where you need to run simulations 30 times to gain confidence in your results or none of that stuff, right? So these, these are the kind of common things that they need to keep in mind. If you can't, you know, try to get the model uh, move faster and, and uh, you know, try create a strategy to create models more realistic through, through some of the uh, uh, strategies that I just uh, described. <clears throat> yeah, that's, that's interesting, right? Because I think there's also a barrier to entry why people get scared mm -hmm. of like getting started, right? And it's like, mm -hmm. okay, you know, if I start bringing a model that's not good enough, it's going to start mm -hmm. giving me the wrong insights. And so it's going to be counterproductive. Mm -hmm. And then if I aim for perfection, it's going to take me a year. So that's useless, yeah. right? So, so how do you find people mitigate kind of that good enough decision to say, okay, you know, what's the lighting moment where you say you know what you know this is this is good enough to use it yes yeah great question all right so my years of experience and working a lot of you know some of the uh, modeling simulation efforts for for very large programs um if it you know simulations and emulations are always like i mentioned they you know when you brief these results at the pentagon and uh, uh, at high level if we believe the system is going to work and that your money's going to be worth here, but everybody, hey, these are stochastic. At the, at the end of the day, these are models, right? Okay, that's okay. This is a model. Uh, let's say this this model produced plus or minus thirty. That's okay. But it's interesting to see a core analysis that compares with the same error rate, and and do the comparison across different course of actions, and still, uh, you know. Okay, don't go by this numbers exactly, but look at the difference between the two cores. See how much of the value that it really provides, right? That's still, you know, decision maker needs to look at the results out of the model from that perspective of comparison uh, against some kind of baseline performance, right? Uh, right. And that's interesting, right? Because people, you know, mm -hmm. I, I tell people like, you know, I, I'm always worried about the, the duty getting hacked, but I'm actually also more worried about the duty be becoming so irrelevant that no one is trying to hack us anymore, right? So, so yeah. there's always like this kind of, and it's the same thing we get with Sage. You know, people want the model of OpenAI on the high side. I'm like, sure, you know, we all want that, but it's 100 million bucks to host it. So, are you going to foot the bill? And mm -hmm. I can tell you, you know, doing without it will be much worse. And probably, you know, when you see Beidou give, uh, you know, uh, their GPT stuff to to the CCP. 
mm-hmm. obviously that's a big problem and we can pretend yeah. it's not a problem but then we're going to wake up and realize you know uh we wasted 10 years when they you know in one year they they took 10 years on us mm-hmm. and that's not acceptable and so sometimes right perfection is the enemy here and so mm-hmm. so looking at progress right progress can be measured might not be where you want to be but it's still better than not having it and so i'm always you know i always push back a little bit right mm-hmm. uh particularly with this kind of ai ml innovations because it's so expensive and so difficult right to get it done you can just pretend you can do without it and think mm-hmm. it's not going to have an impact so there's a cyber aspect of things mm-hmm. and then there's a velocity slash you know innovation piece of stuff where you know if you if you don't have that you it's it's pretty worse than being fully secure yeah. you can turn off your laptop and be secure right i'm not sure you're going to be able to succeed right yes so, yes yeah uh, and pretty soon, I, you know, it's going to be a, a war of AIs, like, you know, beating each other's algorithm. And, you know, simulations and emulations are at the center of it. How do you beat yeah. them in, in, at their game, right? Uh, without uh, uh, creating the replica of the, the war gaming and doing, trying to figure out what, 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 what is their black box kind of things they're doing. And us to even figure that out is, is you know, there's there's so much of that uh, value. Right. And we're twinning and doing continuous iterative uh, uh, exercises. Right. So. Yeah, no doubt. You know, when, you know, obviously I'm all about ethics, but at the same time, I know that China couldn't care less about ethics. Yeah. And I can tell you that they're certainly going to use GPT, their, their GPT to do some cyber offense, you know, writing malware and, and whatever else. Uh, I, have, yeah. I have zero doubt it's already happening. Right. Um, and yet, you know, in the U.S., we're, we're preventing uh, U.S. teams to do that on the offensive side uh, on Cyber Command and NSA. But, you know, at least if you read the terms and conditions of, of you know, OpenAI and others, you can't do that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, it's interesting, right? I, I get the need of, of like, you know, thinking of ethics. But at the same time, I also know that uh, AI is kind of the next generation nuclear weapon, right? And see if, if you don't mm-hmm. have it. You're in trouble, and so we don't want to use it, but we need to have it, you know. So it's just interesting, right? Uh, it, yeah, it, it creates a whole set of uh, challenges again. But yeah. let's go back to you know the, the the benefits, right? Because people that push back on digital twins, you know, they say, "Oh, you spend a lot of time, and and you know, uh, if the model is not good, you know, you're not going to see a lot of value back." Sure, you know, like anything else. Uh, mm-hmm. But what would you say are the the big you know return on investment benefits? You know, for teams adopting, embracing uh, digital twins. Oh yeah, digital uh, twins provide so much value for large-scale programs and even uh, uh, system-to-system representation. Not only the DoD program, but even commercial or even civilian. Like, for example, uh, you know, the recent event that we saw on uh, FAA that uh, you know bought that uh, da- database uh, operation kind of bought down the. Uh, yeah, the no, the, no, the price to, to to the ground. I mean, imagine um, uh, they were doing continuous uh, exercises to do some kind of chaos engineering. Uh, you know, uh, that could have been avoided, right? Um, and also, a chaos engineering that led, leads to a, a, a high availability and, and resiliency plan. If that happens with a click of a button, I, I want actually that to spin up for the last good snapshot of the application system as well, right? So that's that's. This so much value, right? From DoD program perspective, uh, the benefit of digital twin is like from start to the end to the sustainment, right? It, the model evolves as the program evolves, right? It, it, the the model can the models and simulation environments or emulation environment can, 
can support the training as well once once the system is fielded, right? Um, at each and every milestone and touch points, having a digital twin and models is, is just gives a lot of value for all the decision maker throughout all the critical points. Going to forming uh, the first prototype system and, and see how it behaves with other systems. Um, and at the same time, uh, sort of, uh, you know, making informed uh, testing decisions and 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 uh, all that right and uh, you know the most important fact factor now these days are for all of the systems that we actually if we have digital twin and and having a live mission that is happening and a replica uh, uh, up in the motor pool or some kind of in the cloud where where uh, we know what threats we are facing so preparing the troops for variety of non-kinetic and kinetic effects they are about to face because the war and the enemies all, you know, uh, they always have new strategy to So whatever intel that we have and what, what their game plan might be to rehearse uh, in, in uh, uh, you know, on, in real time, it's, it's, there's a lot of value into, into that, right? Um, and, and, uh, yeah, so that's 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 that, and there's like I said, a lot of commercial uh, application uh, as well, right? For that. So. Yeah, someone was asking, you know, uh, how would you bring the value to to to, to smaller programs, right? Small to medium space companies. You know, mm -hmm. we, we see the same issue with software, right? I, I have a couple of friends that left uh, SpaceX, right? They were leading the DevSecOps teams mm -hmm. at SpaceX, and then I realized, wait, I had a hundred, you know, two hundred people to do this at SpaceX, and now I'm in a startup. And I have nine people for software. You know, I, I need I need twenty times that just for for DevSecOps. So how do you how do you reconcile you know DevSecOps and and all the uh, digital twin infrastructure and all that you know all the stuff you need uh, yeah. to to do it when you're a smaller company? Yeah. Yeah. So um, for smaller programs, uh, you know, uh, in some small smaller. Uh, um, um, systems that that is being uh, uh, developed there is um, always the risk associated whether we integrate or do are they going to be able to show a better value to to the to the big program or you know that's uh, there's always that but not necessarily the small companies don't have access to these kind of um, full system of system representation that 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 can execute the full digital thread and show the value right um, so, uh, there's always a challenge with that, like, uh, when we, as a small business, we struggle with that too. We build notional stuff to do demos, right? But then, um, I, I want, well, there has, this has so much value to it that let, let's look at the big picture, big war game, right? Like, uh, uh, you know, so if, if there is a representation of the full system or system that, you know, without, um, uh, buying a lot of, um, uh, licensing or others, uh, 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 labs that you need to connect to, um, you know, this eliminates the need for that, right? Like kind of get some, some area of, uh, representation in a synthetic environment for a smaller system and smaller programs to connect with the, Hey, this is what we would happen for the whole, uh, uh system of system representation. So I, I guess he had a good point here. He was talking about, um, mm -hmm. you know, could the government bring a turnkey solution to to those programs and those motor companies 
mm-hmm. just like a platform one of of your Twitter. And that was my idea, you know, kind of removing the barrier to entry by providing kind of a turnkey cloud-based stack, right? That, that contractors and government teams can use. Do you do you see this as a as an accelerator to to have maybe some enterprise capabilities for organizations mm-hmm. to to just use? Yes, I you know we see we see uh, uh, my vision and 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 no one you know working in the modeling simulation community for so so many years, um, a community and a system that is so open that everybody can get on and and it's easy to use. For example, let's say you want to deploy a model on Kubernetes cluster, but on your team you actually don't have a Kubernetes engineer, right? Uh, but is there a capability out there that would eliminate the need for specialized skills that you have, right? right. Uh, how do we bring that open community where people can come and uh, uh, build their stuff and they still own it in portable, exportable formats and they can use it and share stuff, um, you know, a platform, a cloud native friendly on-prem or in cloud a platform, is, you know, is, is the vision to go. Um, you know, for that, right? So, yeah, yeah, no doubt. You know, I think uh, we had we had a few engagements with OSD R&E. You know, uh, when I was in the government to to help them kind of get access to platform one and kind of streamline access to you know the the DevSecOps stack. So teams <clears throat> that don't have the knowledge, right, they can mm-hmm. just uh, go on party bus and and use stuff without having all the the skills, the internal skills to to run a, the whole pipeline. And so I think you know. Same concept with little twin stuff, I guess. Yes. Um, so Robert was saying, uh, you know, we talked about cloud. Do, do you see, you know, cloud-based little twin as a wave to the future? And obviously, they can scale faster. And would you would you see cloud hosting? Obviously, there's you know, there's always risk anywhere you host it. I would argue it's probably you know less secure in the in the duty network because of our lack of hygiene. Yeah. basic cyber hygiene than most cloud providers that we trust. So what, what do you see there as a, as the next, you know, adoption? Uh, absolutely. I think, um, you know, many organizations are already started the uh, uh, modernization effort, everything surrounding around Kubernetes. Uh, recently, I participated in one of the industry day for, um, you know, for modernization effort on the modeling simulation program. And in the center, they had put in Kubernetes. Uh, I would say it's not cloud-based digital twin, but more like cloud-native te- technology for digital twin, right? right. So, that makes uh, sense. yeah, because things do exist in on-prem too. There's a well, desire. You need both. You need hybrid. You need hybrid. Yeah. Uh, you know, I see a lot want of. The, you want the stuff to, to run on Kubernetes, so it's agnostic, just like we did platform one and yes, everything exactly. we did, right? Yeah. Focus. You, you want to be able to lift and shift between the two, cloud or on-prem. Right. Yes. So. Yeah. Not everything will be able to run on the cloud, and you're going to need to be able yeah. to, um, you know, deploy stuff on physical systems and have a, um, you know, almost like a, a DevSecOps pipeline mm-hmm. alongside a, a, a prototype of a, of a weapon or whatnot, and be able to run the software automatically on that on that weapon and and, and kind of do it agnostically of where mm-hmm. it's hosted. And, and so that's how we design, you know, the uh, all the automation we we built on platform one. Yes. Um, so, you know, obviously when you, when you look at the solution, right, I guess we, we just talked about it a little bit, but, um, 
the the cloud native orchestration stack like like Cubase, right, is obviously bringing that agnostic, you know, value there, right? And mm-hmm. and do you think you know MBSC, you know, how do you integrate that into that that MBSC world? And and uh, do do you find those engineers then need to know how to code, or, or how do we make it easy? Right for these teams to to adopt it. Yeah, um, this is this is uh, it's a shift right in testing, for example. Right, the way, mm-hmm. the way I'm asking the questions is there is a shift in testing, right, mm-hmm. where uh, testers now need to understand code to write the test more and more, uh, so mm-hmm. we can automate unit testing, integration testing, you know, end-to-end testing, and so there is a shift also in cyber, right, where people need to start. Uh, making changes in code instead of command lines, right? So, so more and more people have to learn how to code. Yes. Do you see that happening also with MBSC, where you know those guys will have to, whether they like it or not, they there's going to be code to know, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I see um, the um, I you know that that's been our focus point on our solution, right? Uh, that. Uh, what we invested in R&D is like to kind of keep keep that in mind that, um, and we we know uh, uh, it's not even on the government side. We we support private sector, big telecom companies too, and there's all there's a there's a lack of specialized skills and workforce that you need, right? So uh, yes, we want to go in Kubernetes. I you know that shows a lot of value, but. Uh, if everybody's looking for Kubernetes and there's not enough Kubernetes engineer, uh, that's not going to work out, right? So sometimes, you know, uh, technology or platforms need to be designed such a such a way that not putting a lot of burden on uh, either on the current or legacy workforce that you may have in hand, because you know. So, for example, um, you you mentioned about MBSE and MBSE tool. Like, imagine. You have a, uh, you know, cameo like some blueprint or some kind of architecture data on on a spreadsheet, right? And you want that architecture to, to with a wouldn't be nice if I can press a couple of clicks a button of importing that data, and I can deploy that on Kubernetes, right? Without having a specialized Kubernetes engineer to to kind of build the manifest file and and build all that code. You know, making the architecture go live, uh, you know, with a click of a button, uh, you know, is 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 there there are platforms uh, that uh, and solutions are, are out there, and uh, we're we're one of them that we we recently achieved uh, that that capability as well in that area. The um, that's that's uh, that's a you know really kind of keeping the workforce in mind that you don't need specialized skills, right? So. Yeah, so you you kind of creating an an abstraction layer, and you you're mm-hmm. streamlining the adoption of of Kubernetes by by, and I think your product is uh, Doc Doc Stacks, right? Doc Stacks. The, the link right. at the bottom here mm-hmm. uh, for people that want to check it out. But but effectively, you know, the vision is to um, accelerate the adoption by by providing all the uh, turnkey automation mm-hmm. and instantiation capabilities, right? So the, so people don't have to understand all the infrastructure and the the, the Kubernetes stuff to be able to run the stuff and and accelerate the adoption. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, another big issue we see, right, is is people always talking about, okay, but uh, 
you know, I, I have I have drifts right between what's happening in production and my design, and mm -hmm. you know, there's there's obviously real life integration things where other teams are changing the models, or they're changing their 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 system, and they don't have a good representation of the change in the mm -hmm. digital uh, twin model. So so how do you see teams, you know, avoiding these drifts, and how do you keep parity right between the, the real system and the digital twin. Yeah. So, yeah. <clears throat> so the, this, this, this needs to be a continuous process, right? So as a production design and system, there, there are continuous changes that's happening and the digital twin that is modeled, um, you know, what, with whatever any of the three categories I mentioned about whether it's spec based, emulation based or uh, models built out of the data there has to be an agile process that goes with it any changes that occur that triggers you know update to the models right otherwise it will drift right if if uh, someone made the change in, into the production designer system you should automatically have the think of this from like a process like you know i know uh, this has been very cliche adding everything to ops but truly a model ops process right a change in the production system that triggers uh, model updates too, right? Or uh, the, with the method that you develop, that might that may actually uh, uh, be simple enough to, uh, you know, bring those uh, changes through the code updates as well. Or uh, if it's data driven, you know, run the MLAPS process and build the model again. Or, or uh, you know, if there is a change in spec, go into that. Uh, a, a representation system on a canvas and just update that piece of uh, component that you did, right? So that, you know, creating a reconciliation and and a, a uh, model ops process would, would avoid those kind of drifts of, between your production design and, and the, the digital twin representation. Right, right. right. That's, that's the way to go. That makes sense. Um, so, you know, we, we see we see DoD getting locked in right to some of these solutions, particularly the legacy ones. Mm -hmm. You know, when, when if you were in the government, you know, what would you what would you think about when you're picking and and, and selecting partners to make mm -hmm. sure we're not we're not facing another panentier of, of modeling and simulation? You know, how do mm -hmm. we how do we limit, I guess, the vendor lock in while keeping the value of the product mm -hmm. and limiting the, the downside of it? Yeah, so um... The, the, to avoid the vendor lock-ins uh, in modeling technologies, uh, you know, uh, practicing MOSA is very, you know, implementing and surrounding everything on modular open source, you know, open architecture, uh, system architecture initiative is, is the key, right? Uh, how the model was built, uh, you know, uh, the code that goes with it, if it's a if it's a AI ML model or a spec based model, all of that needs to be open in an open format and exchangeable, right? Cloud native friendly, um, uh, you know, where you can bring those represent, representation of model in containers as well with boundaries uh, of microservices approaches is the way to go uh, and and to avoid the uh, vendor lock in issues, right? Um, moving away from legacy simulation architectures and simulation to more cloud native is is uh, is uh, would be a game changer, right? And, and and so you know you bring the community around. There's more openness into it, uh, uh, and uh, you know communities working together and, and 
enhancing the capability together. Right, right. right. It's, yeah. You know, we, with DevSecOps, we built the largest DoD community of practice, and that was a massive success. You know, having all the collaboration we, we built together was, was a game changer, and it, it's, 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 it's ticking enough that uh, even to this date, right, uh, is still the, uh, the, the biggest engagement in, in DoD, so that's pretty cool to see, you know. Yes. So I hope we can do the same thing with the MBSC, obviously. Um, so when you think and you take a step back and you, you think, okay, you know, all this is great. You know, most of the, the, you know, the discussion we had today, you know, what was kind of, uh, the same 10 years ago, technology changed, right. It's getting better. It's getting easier, right. These, they, but, but what's, what's big, right. What, what's going to really disrupt, you know, is AI kind of that, that big disruptor, what, what else is there, right. That that's going to. You know, when you think of innovation and where you think the the market is going, what else you're paying attention to? I guess. Yeah, one of the closest thing I'm paying attention to is um, as AIML uh, is being adopted, I'm almost on all programs. Everybody's using you know, and you know adopting AIML uh, capabilities. The next big thing and the biggest question is how do you automate? Uh, experimentation, testing, uh, you know, hey, I have, AI, you know, a, um, a, you know, machine learning model using X algorithm versus Y algorithm, and which one is better, optimizing, optimizing and, and testing. And also when you have other uh, uh, adversary technologies that you're trying to figure out what it does, an automation of like things of like, Think of things from the perspective like uh, war of co cognitive agents that that is uh, sort of like um, trying to figure out uh, what uh, the the other system capability is doing and also automating the test. Imagine if we adopt AI ML, can you imagine the complexity of testing that that brings uh, on the table, right? Um, because um, it is supposed to do a variety of things, right? I, it's supposed to give you some kind of answer, but how do you know that every time is giving you accurate, right? You can you can build gain insight into accuracy through some kind of statistical analysis, but at the end of the day, when you, when everything is in a system a system uh, representation, there's there's a lot behind it, right? So there's that I I personally feel that's the next big thing is is um, you know full-scale automation testing for AI and ML technologies and, and the full system-assistant uh, representation, uh, you know, is, is, is the next big thing. Yeah. How, how far away are you, would you say we are from this? Not too far. Uh, you know, you're, you're looking at chat GPD these days. I, you know, to, I, I personally feel this is a big major milestone that, I, in, you know, in my lifetime we've seen you know, mobile devices, laptop, you know, uh, Windows, uh, <laughs> and, and all these uh, uh, computers. Uh, Chat GPT is the next, you know, is is, is it's totally game changer. And you can see sense the the power of AI, how your productivity, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah our productivity. And it was already all over the place, but in this case, it's, it's democratizing it to uh, for yeah. everybody to use it. That I think that's really what the the difference is. I mean, you know. Google and others have been using AI for years, uh, but yeah. it was a data scientist toy. Right now, it's everybody's toy, and that's that's a big difference, right? So, yes. in fact, you know, my follow-up questions, uh, funny enough, good segue. 
Uh, how do you see, you know, technology like GPT and other AI disrupt, you know, the industry? Yeah, so for, for me, I, I'd say, you know, uh, for example, you know, chat GPT uh, and capability, I see that as a productivity tool for, for many folks, right? Whether you, you're coding or whether you are, uh, uh, you know, you have to write some documents, proposals, you, you see that as, we see that as a product. It never gives you 100%, right? Uh, it gives you 70% or like 60% or 80% for, for what you need. But, um, you know, it accelerates every, everybody, uh, especially the small businesses, uh, can right. take a take a great use of it, and now it, the, these are the, you know ChatGPT is a helping hand to to much more much 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 faster, right? So yeah. I, I productivity is the key that I see the benefit of technologies like uh, GPT. <clears throat> yeah, and I think it's also maturity in pump engineering. I can tell you, I you know on, on Sage we just released a new persona. You know we have a bunch of different persona for lawyers and whatever, right? Uh, we yeah. have a prompt engineer persona where you can actually tell your prompt and he's going to uh, ask you questions to improve your own prompt. So then mm -hmm. you can uh, copy and paste it and, and into another persona to, uh, let's say you want to do a, write an RFP, right? If you, if you have a pretty basic prompt, it's not going to do a good job. But if you go to the prompt engineer persona and you, you improve the prompt and you, you know, it's asking you questions to improve the prompt and give you a new prompt updated uh, accordingly. And then you use that in the contracting officer persona. I can tell you the the results are incredible. And so you know, I would argue mm -hmm. for my coding, for example, it's, it's closer to ninety percent than it is sixty percent. You know, I think it's mm -hmm. it's really getting uh, to be pretty pretty insane. And I think it's the the the, the difference between sixty to one hundred percent is not so much the, the technology. I think it's more about the human, you know, using the technology. And so prompt engineering is going to become a a massive skill that you know people need to embrace and you know people fighting the technology and fighting uh some of the challenges you see with it with hallucinations and uh you know uh people mm -hmm. becoming dumber because just like the calculator you know you're not going to know basic math anymore i mean i get it right but the fact mm -hmm. is we're not going to slow down innovation it's not going to happen it's going to happen anyways mm -hmm. so you can't be the one not using it right i think it's uh the velocity for me it's at least a 10x velocity enabler so you can't you can't send it to 10x you go bankrupt right yes um, yes so that's you know for me that's been pretty mind-boggling honestly uh, that's why i created the company because mm -hmm. not a lot of stuff gets me excited nowadays and i can tell you that was enough and the the, the simple fact you know that we have 1200 government teams on sage in five weeks uh which mm -hmm. is pretty unheard of of any product on the planet uh tells mm -hmm. you that uh you know that's clearly uh, something that people, you know, resonate with, right? So yes, 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 yes. and you know, is it going to disrupt jobs? You know, prob probably, you know, but there's two ways of thinking of it: the innovators and the smart people will will do ten times more with the same number of people. The others will will cut jobs and and do the same amount with less people. But but it's, yeah. it's smarter to keep the same people and 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 just do more, you know. But 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 certainly. One would argue, you know, it's going to reduce new hires. You know, I was going to hire a marketing person. I'm not going to do that, right? It makes no sense. Sage does all my marketing for me, you know. So that kind of stuff is just is just interesting to think about. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, it also addresses the legacy workforce upskilling uh, kind of uh, challenge that we have, right? Imagine 
uh, you know, uh, a regular average sysadmin who doesn't know Kubernetes can go on ChatGPT or ask Sage and type in, build me a Kubernetes manifest file for Postgres database. And he has it, everything ready in his in his hands. Like a hundred percent of my, my YAML of Sage <laughs> itself was created by the bot. <laughs> Yeah. So you look at you know the UI, percent of the UI by the bot, ninety percent of the backend, hundred percent of the SQL. You know, yeah. it's awesome. I mean, regags, you know, we're good at expressions. I mean, it's just it's just awesome. Yeah. All the stuff we had to pulse and you know for a chatbot, it's always painful, and it's doing an amazing job even explaining regags. You know, I yeah. gave my code. You know, I don't like commenting my stuff. I just I I, I, mm -hmm. I hate it. So I gave the the code. I say you know command this code, and he's just commenting the code for you. I mean, all these tasks that are boring and annoying and slow people down you know it's just uh you know it's just insane and even for security stuff right you could say you know review this code for security paying attention to uh mm -hmm. xss injections sql injections it's all about the prompt right and uh, i can tell you uh, we, we created this concept of a, of a prompt template where people can share prompts between teams mm -hmm. and uh you know i think that's going to become kind of a database of uh, of, of prompts to help people you know when they are trying to do something so they can they can have a starting point instead of creating something from scratch and i think you know prompts are going to get more and more complex to get yeah. more and more precise outcomes you know and it, yes the fact that you know with gpt4 now you have 80 pages of text on uh, you know you can you can write an rfp answer completely mm -hmm. automatically i mean it's just you might you know i have a team i know one of the sage customers told me they, they have eight people they used to do four bids a month now they do 12. Mm -hmm. like how much money is that worth for them i mean they're paying 30 bucks a month per user i should i should charge them 10 times more you yeah. know it's millions right it's millions of opportunities that they now can do with the same number of people you know it's mind-boggling it's, so. it's a great great news for small businesses actually you know I, right uh, uh, a in uh, average your mainstream business where like some a product who's not been able to market because they're not the bandwidth to go market and create material now they can right without hiring yeah. a lot of people on the team right? so you know he created the website for me and you know i wanted to position the the, the bot on, on gpd for government right yeah. and uh we're number one on google yeah in in five weeks you know i mean you know so he, he did all the the seo and all the stuff mm -hmm. you know to to do that and I, I just had to ask for it. I don't know. I mean, I know how to do it because I know, but most people don't know. And, you know, they could get it turnkey. So, so it's a company as a business service, right? You look mm -hmm. at my terms and conditions, my, you know, my, my license agreement, you know, contracts, everything came from the bot. The logo of the freaking bot mm -hmm. came from Dali. You know, I mean, it's just, you know, how more do you yeah. want? You know, you have no excuse not to be able to do a business nowadays. You know, it's just, yeah. it's just insane. Uh, all right, so last question before we take a few questions from the public. Uh, what keeps you up at night? Yeah, um, really, um, you know, think, thinking the fact, you know, I actually am worried about the, the warfighters here, um, you know, uh, and, and the national security at this point that we, we face here that, um, you know, uh, our adversaries are getting smarter and smarter. Um, what what counter strategies uh, that we have do we have? Uh, it really keeps up with us. Now. It's it's all about the warfighters and and the things that you see in Ukraine uh, could be happening to us. But how, but 
um, you know, at some point. But, uh, you know, uh, how do we defeat and how do we prepare, you know, uh, and be resilient against a non-kinetic and kinetic uh, warfare in the future is, is really what keeps keeps me up at night. <clears throat> yeah. What, what do you think of the economy? Um, <laughs> yeah, with, with this new, definitely the, this uh, uh, banking uh, turmoil that we were seeing uh, is certainly that that's also keeping up me at night. You know, so really worried about that and checking my insurances now that, hey, uh, you know, is my money covered? Yeah. We had, uh, yes, you know, last week we had the Dan, the CEO of Chengold, and he was impacted. You know, he had, you know, he has probably a million bucks payroll a month, you know, so 60 people. So, you yeah. know, you're going to be above the limit. And he, he was using SVB, you know, I mean, he got he got the money back, but that's just a pretty good awakening, you know, I think for people. Yeah. So, time to consult um, with our insurance agents. <laughs> yeah, no doubt, no doubt. All right, so let's take a look at some of the questions we got. So first, Kenny was just pointing out that uh, mm -hmm. you know she should talk to you because she's interested uh, in digital twin uh, of federal geological input models and if the effort to build is appropriate beyond the U.S. So that's obviously something you know to reach out offline. Uh, but I wanted mm -hmm. to point it out to you and the, the rest of the people here. I think that's a very interesting use case, yes. a little bit outside of the, the weapon stuff, which makes it uh, actually pretty intriguing as well. Um, Mark was saying that, uh, you know, we're seeing poor integration of digital engineering, system engineering and mission engineering. How do we get these uh, tribes, you know, working together more effectively, you know, breaking the silos, just like we did with DevSecOps, you know, mm -hmm. you don't see a dash or a slash, you know, I hate when people put a slash or a dash between DevSecOps, almost, mm -hmm. you know, creating the silos and the walls again. How do you break those down those walls? Yeah, so <clears throat> again, um, to, to break the walls is really, uh, you know, um, you have to take this approach, uh, you know, uh, model test, model test, model test, model test, and and you know, uh, model test and learn your lessons, and then then adapt, build, build, uh, and 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 kind of do a continuous iteration of our maturity. Is is how do you integrate all of these things together on a program, on a you know large scale acquisition programs too, right? So um, if you if you don't early enough, if you don't if you have like siloed approaches to do systems engineering and, and then mission engineering uh, separately, you know all of this is not going to come together. Uh, in agile development, most people say uh, let's fail fast. Um, I have a different mindset. What I say, let's learn fast. Let's learn fast through. Uh, digital engineering and and uh, you know and adapt. Let, take the lessons learned and 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 implement for for better better and improving. And that meets the requirement and it meets or exceeds the requirement, right? So, I, I have I have my own. I guess I mix both of you. I I call it uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know what is it? Uh, fail fast, learn fast, but don't fail twice for the same reason. So oh, yeah. you know, I guess yeah. I combine it all together. I mean, I, I guess you know people need not to be. You know, fearful of, of failing. I, I see that too much. 
but it has to be small incremental failure. And I think people freak out when they hear the, the world fell, but mm -hmm. we should really not freak out anymore. And, and we need to define it and, and contain it and, and really measure it. Uh, but we should embrace failing, you know, just like, you know, if you talk to Elon Musk, he's going to tell you if they don't fail enough, they feel like, you know, he feels they're not innovating enough and it's, it's just not good. So I think, yeah. you know, there's a healthy balance there, <laughs> but, but yeah. at least, you know, fail fast, learn fast, don't fail twice for the same reason is, is kind of my motto. So yeah. that's the way I think of it. Yeah. Yes. Um, learn, it's, it's all about learn fast. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Failure and the learning, learning. Not the learning you're missing. I mean, you, you know, you're not, you, you're failing like an idiot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. So you can't do that. Uh, that would be pretty stupid. Right. Yeah. Uh, failing for the sake of failing is, is useless. Yeah. Um, you, you don't start something to just to fail. No, that's not the goal. <laughs> so. Yeah. So uh, Tim was uh, putting you on the spot because Tim always loves to do that mm -hmm. with me. And I love him for that. He, mm -hmm. he avoids me being a bad guy, so that's good. Mm -hmm. uh, there are you know three big guys, right? Individual engineering, Siemens, you know PTC, and Dassault. Um, mm -hmm. Which do you think are the most visionary, or if any of them are visionary, and and uh, which do you think have capitalized on cloud and ML and data uh, collaboration the most? I think it's strange mm -hmm. to see who you should resell and work with. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm afraid, actually, um, from what I've seen uh, from uh, these, uh, um, you know, industry, uh, digital twin, they have actually, um, the industrial 4.0, what they call it, they, they, they create, uh, create a digital twin environment just, just for like from IoT or industry systems um, and all that. But, uh, hey, create me a digital twin for military or some federal systems or like enterprise system, uh, uh, they, they, they're going to come back and say, well, we don't support that, right? So um, or there, there's, there has been some gaps into that, right? Um, so I, while I don't know the particular uh, differences between what they offer, but from a high level perspective, um, these commercial companies are focused on uh, industrial and IoT systems mostly for digital training. Uh, right. So, yeah. Do you, Do you see any of them uh, kind of adopting, embracing cloud and, and modernizing? Because a lot of these solutions are pretty much legacy or old school desktop yeah. apps. Do you see that evolve? Or? Yeah, I I think uh, Azure and uh, AWS are really pressing towards that. Um, you know, uh, if you if you don't hop onto any of those commercial clouds, you're behind, right? They'll they'll be late to yeah. the game or they'll be thrown out. So I don't. Right. Yeah, they they have to almost now, right? So. Yeah, there's no choice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I guess Robert was asking. I kind of asked you the question, but uh, you did not do it in thirty seconds. So. Mm -hmm. um, if you have to do an elevator pitch, and most people struggle with elevator pitches, but we'll we'll see if you're good at elevator pitches now. Mm -hmm. How do you uh, pitch Digital Twin and the difference between Digital Twin and MBSC? If mm -hmm. you're in a you know with a PM, you're talking to a program manager, not very technical, and you have 30 seconds to explain. What what do you say? TikTok. Yeah. So Digital Twin, uh, for me, I different key difference between Digital Twin and MBSC are, you know, Digital Twin can actually become live. And, and support real time. MBSE, while it's, it gives you a blueprint of something that, that what architecture and what are you trying to structure and what are you trying to build. But 
that the next phase of that that needs to become some kind of simulation or emulation uh, model right. right that you can actually do something with that that's that's the that's the core uh, difference right uh, take MBSE is first step MBSE and the representation of the system of systems in the MBSE uh, that goes into uh, a, a simulation environment is is the next step right <clears throat> so live live real time yeah yeah okay um so i guess this is the last question mm -hmm. um and I, i'm not sure if it's for you or for me but you can take a stab at it if you want or i can just take a stab at it if you don't want uh, michael was asking you know how do you different differentiate prompt engineering versus site 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 reliability engineering and mm -hmm. I, i'm happy to do it it's a devsecops question but it's up to you if you want to if you want to take a stab. No, go ahead nick you, you take that i think you'll answer that yeah <laughs> that's my baby you know yeah. so um well, you know, I think prompt engineering is about writing. It's about being effectively an English major, right? And and typing the right question to to GPT, so so the bot will be able to give you the best answer that you want with the least number of questions. And so, engineering your prompt, engineering your question, effectively, it's a fancy word to say writing the right questions, right, mm -hmm. uh, in the right tone and, you know, having the right details and the, the words matter, right, concise, precise, whatever outcome you're trying to get to, you know, the tone, you know, if, you, if you're trying to speak, uh, you know, uh, as a lawyer, you want to, you know, you want to, you want to bring that up, you know, with a, a lawyer with a decade of experience, you know, that's how we do our, our personas in the system. We effectively tweak the prompt. So the body is going to behave in a, in a different way and you can, you can make it behave the way you want. It could play as a pirate all the way to, you know, uh, Elon Musk all the way to Steve jobs. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. so, so it's all about also like how to phrase things and, you know, when we get to complex use cases. So, so people that tell me, Hey, you know, GPT or whatever is not giving me what I want. I'm like, yeah, blame yourself. You, you're the problem, mm -hmm. not the bot. Right, uh, it's a prompt engineering mistake. So there's a lot of videos about prompt engineering out there, and it's it's getting it's getting there, and, and you know people are learning, and, and English majors uh, are relevant uh, again, I guess. Uh, sorry, uh, but mm -hmm. it, it's 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 and so SRE is more like you know the operations of the system and how to run it and, and keeping it you know keeping it up and mm -hmm. and minimizing toil and, and all that good stuff. So that's the way I think of it, I guess. Um, uh so first wanted to to thank you you know because you know having you is is a is a gift and you know, i think you were able to really paint a picture of of dual engineering and, and dual twin uh for people that that don't always really understand it you know we talk a good game uh but you know we all learned a lot and i think uh that's mm -hmm. always important to uh, to go beyond the buzzwords you know so that's what we do here on the show and You've done a great job. Next Tuesday, we're not going to have an episode. Uh, we'll see you in two weeks with a pretty amazing guest. I'm not going to tell you who because it's going to be a surprise you know, next week. So it's going to be fun. Uh, with that, I'm going to give you the last words, uh, you know, uh, so you can uh, you can uh, share people, you know, to people first how to find you, how to reach out to you if they have, you know, more questions. And uh, and wanted to thank you again for, for taking the time and, and joining us today. So, yeah. Yeah, no, uh, Nick, it was, uh, thank you for uh, having me here. And, um, you know, this has been my uh, passion of mine. And, uh, you know, I'm, uh, we're always uh, posting uh, some educational and tri 
some informative things on the LinkedIn on the Docstacks page uh, about digital trend. Um, always uh, follow us on uh, LinkedIn and um, you know reach out to us. Uh, you know, always we are always here to chat. So thank you very much for having me here. Yeah. So it's, thank you, everybody. You stay safe. In the meantime, you make sure we keep up the good fight. So our kids have a fighting chance at winning against China 20 years from now. You stay safe, everybody. Thank you.